You're listening to Sports Connections with David Smale, the show that brings you a fun and intimate look into connections throughout sports. Now here's your host, David Smale. The draft is behind us, and I love the fact that people all over America are rating the various drafts, and and they're, the rank, draft ranges or, or the grade ranges are all over the place. But I think what a lot of people are saying is this was a really good draft. And so today's guest had, knows a little bit of something about the NFL draft. He was selected in the second round of the 1990 draft. And he's going to talk today not only about being drafted himself uh, a few years ago, but his assessment of this year's draft. So Tim Grunhard, welcome to Sports Connections. Well, it's great to be on Sports Connections once again with you, David. Uh, love your podcast. You guys do a great job. You have a lot of great guests. So just want to let everybody know if you have an opportunity, jump on to Sports Connections with David Smell and, and check out his podcast. And yeah, you know, uh, great draft for the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, I never give an A in the draft because it's just so many unknowns when it comes to college football players. But this is as close as you can get to an A. It's an A minus. You know, the Chiefs were going to concentrate on the defensive side, and they did that, I believe. And I don't have the picks right in front of me, uh, but I believe that they had uh, three of ten uh, only offensive players, and then I think the other seven were defensive players. They went out and they got themselves a defensive end. They got themselves some, some secondary help. They got themselves a really tough linebacker. And then to keep Patrick Mahomes happy, they went out and found a wide receiver in Sky yeah. Moore. So uh, really a nice job for the Chiefs. Yeah, I, I think so, too. By the way, I'm not paying you extra for that plug, by, by the way. You're getting the same thing everybody else gets uh, for being my guest. All right, let's go through <laughs> pick by pick. I, I and what read, is that, David? That, that's not a lot, is it? Yeah. No, not right now. <laughs> you get my undying appreciation. How about that? Go. There you go. All right, let's go through pick by pick. And, you know, if you don't have a strong opinion, that's that's fine. But I'm going to just go through them and you tell me what you what you think about them. First round pick. Uh, Trent McDuffie, cornerback out of Washington. Yeah, a uh, really good athlete. Uh, was a track star in high school, and I believe he may even ran a little bit of track in college. I'm not sure, but uh, he ran the 100 and 200 meter. Uh, really athletic. The, the thing I like about this guy is what some people don't like about him. They talk about his short arms, and they're like, well, because he doesn't have length, uh, you know, it might be an issue in the NFL. Well, I watched him play and watched his film. One of the things he didn't rely on, David, and I think this is really important for everybody out there to understand, is he didn't rely on that length. So he had to use his hips and his leverage, and he had to use his, his intellect to cover. And he mm -hmm. was in uh, you know, a really good passing conference over there in the Pac-12. So uh, it didn't look like he was uh, ever out of position. I think a lot of times when you bring in a young player that has long arms and length and they're so used to in college football using their hands and grabbing onto guys, once you do that in the NFL, remember the point of emphasis in the NFL is offense. They want offensive production. So if you're grabbing on people and you're doing that, you're going to yeah. get a flag. So one of the good things about what Trent brings is he brings good technique and uh, he's used to not being able to get out and grab people. So he had to make those adjustments. And I think that's a positive for the Chiefs. You know, when when we saw that the Chiefs were trading up, I looked over at my wife and she she was as interested as she always is in sports. But I was giving her my analysis. I said, OK, they're trading up and Jerome Johnson is still available. They're trading up. OK, we're going to get that, you know, that really good brush in. And then they they selected the defensive back. And I, I was like, <laughs> oh, OK. But the more I've heard about it, 
and I, even Clark uh, Clark Hunt after the draft talked about the drop off at corner. If they had if they had taken uh, the edge rush, there were plenty of good edge rushers, and the drop off between twenty one and and thirty was not nearly as great for edge rushers as it was for corner. If they wanted one of their their first round graded cornerbacks, they had to go get him. So I think that's why they went ahead and got McDuffie with their first pick. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. And, you know, listen, the Chiefs had a lot of picks. There were 12 picks in the draft. I think they worked on the 10, which is a manageable number. Right. Uh, I think you and I talked about it last week that there was no way they are going to use all 12 picks. I mean, it's yeah. just too much logistics. So, yeah, no, this was a good move to move up and get a kid that a lot of people thought was a top three corner. Uh, I've seen him as low as five, as high as two. Uh, so he's a top five corner. And anytime yeah. you get those kind of guys, um, that's a positive for their defense. Right. And then later in the first round, uh, and we're not used to the Chiefs having two first round picks, but near the end of the first round, they got George Karloftis at Purdue. Talk about your assessment of that pick. Well, the Greek freak, uh, really uh, uh, a nice pick for the Chiefs, a overachiever. Now, a lot of people say that, you know, he didn't flash as much in college. Remember, there's a couple of things. Number one, he played at Purdue. There wasn't a lot of defensive stars on that team. You look at Georgia, where there's five first-rounders. I mean, Purdue was a long way away from that. So offensive coordinators and offensive line coaches found ways to try to limit him because he was the best player by turning protection or chipping on him or putting a tight end over. So he got plenty of double teams, which, uh, you know, he showed that he could defeat those. And, you know, he was second in pressures in the in the Big Ten, uh, right behind Hutchinson from Michigan. So he's a guy who knows how to get to the quarterback. The thing I like about this kid, he plays a lot of toughness, plays with physicality. He uses his hands well. And the one thing he does is he finishes plays. If you watch this kid on film, the one thing that he does better than I thought anybody that I've seen is chasing the stuff down from behind. And yeah. you, don't, you can't teach that. You know, a lot of guys say, well, you know, you know, well, you know, I've had I've heard coaches many, many times say, hey, you need to finish plays, finish plays, finish plays. But either you do or you don't. And this kid does. And um, that's going to help the Kansas City Chiefs to solidify that defense, especially for a lot of the cutback things the Chiefs had problems with last year. Yeah. And, and the, the term that's used a lot today is motor. His motor doesn't stop. Yeah. His motor doesn't stop. And, and, uh, and that's the kind of player you need at the defensive end position, especially in the NFL. Uh, because, uh, listen, it's not easy to get to the quarterback. There's some really good offensive linemen, and the quarterback gets rid of the ball quickly. So if you have that mindset that you're going to keep going, keep going, keep going, eventually you're going to get there. And I think what teams try to do is just mentally wear you out, where you're like, by the time you get to the third and fourth quarter, if you don't have that mindset, if you're not trained that way to go ahead and finish every play, then you'll, you'll shut down a little bit. And we see that often in the NFL. And you talked about that in your book with Marty, Marty Schottenheimer telling you guys a two-yard run in the first quarter is a four-yard run in the second quarter, is a six-yard run in the third quarter, and either eight yards or maybe even a touchdown in the fourth because you're wearing them down. And you got it on the defensive side. The flip side of that is you have to have that motor that keeps, keeps you going through four quarters. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, and, and Marty was really big on – you know, focusing, but finishing. And, uh, you know, that was one of the point of emphasis we always had during the year is, hey, listen, like you said, we'll wear him down in the fourth quarter. But this kind of reminds me a little bit of a Neil Smith. Like maybe he's not as athletic as Neil was, right. but 
But Neil was really good at finishing plays. Neil was a guy that uh, he just went 110% all the time. And I talk about it in the book about how Neil and I used to just go at it in practice. He had an intensity, he had a, a, a physicality, whether it was practice or game. Uh, so, uh, yeah, um, maybe not as athletic as Neil, but same attitude. And that's a plus. It, it, and again, and obviously I'm the one that helped you write the book. So I know a lot of what's in the book. <laughs> Chris Zorich is, is that a good comparison? Yeah, I, I think, the, I think that's a great comparison. Very similar, similar backgrounds, um, you know, overachievers, uh, guys that knew that they had to finish every play, that they had to work a little bit harder than everybody else. Cause maybe they didn't have the athleticism. Now, listen, I'm not saying this kid isn't athletic because he is right. a first round draft choice in the NFL, but it's all comparable and it's all, you know, apples and oranges. So this kid, uh, I believe, figured that, listen, the only way that I could succeed, especially in a place like Purdue, and I'm not saying Purdue's a bad football team, but they're just not right. a powerhouse, that, you know, they knew that people were going to try to limit what he could do, and he was able to get through that, and that's all attitude. Yeah. All right. Uh, the next pick, one of one of my favorites, uh, not my favorite, but, but certainly one of them, uh, wide receiver Sky Moore out of Western Michigan. Interesting thing about him, he was, he was projected when people – we're looking at the Chiefs with back-to-back 29 and 30, and obviously they traded up from 29. 29 and 30, they've said edge rusher, cornerback, and wide receiver. They're going to get two of the three. And when they were, when people said wide receiver, thinking who might be available, Sky Moore was the name most often mentioned. And yet they got him in the middle of the second round and not even with the pick that they, that they had. They traded down four spots, got a fifth-round pick, which we'll talk about in a minute, and still got Sky Moore. So your assessment of that pick? Yeah, no, I thought it was brilliant by by uh, uh, Brett Veach that uh, he was able to do that. I I I didn't see that coming. I thought they were going to take Pickens at that pick, uh, the kid from Georgia. But they must have seen something in Sky Moore they liked. Listen, he's a little, he's got a little bit of that um, Tyreek Hill in him. He's yeah. small. He's fast. He 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 has really good. We call it pluckability where he can get to the point of the ball. He catches the ball with his hands, not his body. Um, and uh, he's a good route runner. So, uh, you know, he's going to fit in well. I was just taking a look at you. If you think about it, you got McCole Hartman, you got Juju Smith-Schuster, you have Marquise Valdez-Scantlin, and now you have Sky Moore. And then don't forget about Josh Gordon. I think that's a pretty good wide receiver group for, for Patrick Mahomes. One of the things I thought last year is that Patrick Mahomes uh, kind of relied too much on Tyreek Hill. Yeah. And, then, and then he – if Tyreek wasn't open, then he looked for Travis Kelsey. I think with this group, you're going to see a little bit more diversity uh, in in the passing game. I think you're going to see a little bit more uh, route running combinations, which I think Patrick Mahomes will be really good at. He's a really smart football player, uh, and he, he likes to 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 be able to kind of scheme out what's going on, and these receivers help him. And Sky Moore will do that. Uh, w- one of the things, if you watch him, when he gets into his cut, you know, and if everybody, if you're, if you're, if you're watching this and obviously you're into football and you're into videos and you're into that, go watch his video and watch how he sinks his hips on a break. Too many times you see young wide receivers starting to raise their body up, which A, slows them down and B, gives a bigger target for the defensive players. One of the things that Sky does a really good job of when he's getting into his break, his feet get fast and his hips get low. Mm-hmm. And when you have a guy do things like that, then you have a guy that really understands the logistics of how to get open in a football game. And then, and, and space is such a premium in the NFL. This kid will create some of those. 
and 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 we're not saying he's he is Tyreek Hill. I mean, there's no other Tyreek Hill. If, if there were, Miami wouldn't have traded all those picks to get the Tyreek Hill. But he's got Tyreek Hill tight moves. He's a little bigger than Tyreek. Uh, he's not as fast, but nobody is. But he's he has a lot of those similarities. And I, you know, I was thinking George Pickens too. But Pickens would have reminded us more of of Juju Smith Schuster. I can't say that fast. Uh, and and Valdez Scanling, Sky Moore gives them something else. And don't forget, they got a pretty decent tight end, if I remember correctly. Patrick's going to be pretty happy with the guys he can throw to. Absolutely. No, I think that this offense got better this weekend. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the the next pick in the second round, Brian Cook, a safety out of Cincinnati. Yeah, I remember watching this kid play against Notre Dame when Cincinnati beat Notre Dame at home. This kid was a ball hawk. He was all over the field. And the one thing I really like about this kid is he's a converted corner. Yeah. So he knows how to cover. Uh, he has the ability to, if he needs to walk up into the slot as a safety, or uh, if you're, you know, one of the things that the teams are liking to do now is taking a safety and putting them over the top of a tight end, that he's got the size. And he has the ability to cover a, a tight end. So I think it's great. I think this is a good uh, fit. Uh, Tyron Matthew is gone. Yeah, they went out and got Jalen Reed, and they and they have uh, Thornhill. Uh, but remember last year, you no, know, Dan Sorensen is gone now. So I think this is an upgrade on Dan Sorensen. I always liked Dan. You know, listen, I think yeah. he was kind of a, a whipping boy for, for Chiefs fans because, you know, at times he was put in a bad position. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but I will say that this kid, is probably a little bit more athletic than he is. If he can come up and, and lay the thump like Dan did at certain times, then this is a great pick for the Chiefs. You know, sometimes you worry about guys that are converted corners going to safeties because now they have to tackle more in their last line of defense. But this kid showed that he can do that in college, and I think he has an opportunity to do it here. All right, next pick. They, they traded – they had two of in each the first, second, third, and fourth round. Uh, they traded one of their third-round picks to be able to move up uh, to 21 to get uh, McDuffie. The other pick in the third round, Leo Chanel, I think it's pronounced, from Wisconsin. This is my favorite pick in the draft for the Chiefs. Yeah, you know what? He's a prototypical Sam slash Mike linebacker, you know, a guy that you put over the tight end and jam him up at the point of attack. Or if you want to take Bolton and move him out to a Sam and have more little athleticism out in space, you can do that and put him in at Mike. I think they have three great young linebackers with Gay, Chanel now, and uh, and Bolton. I think that, you know, the Chiefs have made this a point of emphasis once again over the last three years. In the second or third round, they've got their linebackers. And, uh, you know, they understand that, you know, that is so important in the NFL. I like this kid, too. Uh, I think he's more athletic than people give him credit for. But the one thing he does is he brings some thumb. Uh, you know, I played against a lot of linebackers that are built like this kid and had this kind of attitude, and those guys are tough. When you get those centers up on the second level and you got one of those kids that plays with great leverage and gets his hands inside and is going to hit you underneath your chin, it's not a fun day. And yeah. this kid does that. And, you know, Wisconsin's been known over the years for having those tough physical inside linebackers, and they all have done well. So this is a great pick, and I agree with you. This might be my favorite pick, too. Uh, although he's got to probably take the death row uh, marker uh, off of his arm. Uh, he's got death row, but I don't think the NFL is going to quite let him get away with that one. But <laughs> but it does but, speak to his attitude, doesn't it? Yeah, it does speak to his attitude. It, it speaks to his toughness, and the kid likes to go out and hit. And I always say, 
and I said this last week before the draft started, in the NFL right now, it is so hard to teach tackling. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. You either got it or you don't. Because of the rules and because of the way practices are conducted now, you don't have a lot of live hitting and tackling. So you can work on those things, but the only way that you can tackle and the only way that you have an opportunity to be a really good tackler is you got to have it inside of you from the beginning, and this kid does. This kid, at the, I'm sure in high school and college and in the pros, is going to be a guy who likes to put his nose in there and tackle, and you can't teach that anymore. So this yeah. is a good pick for the Chiefs. It's interesting, Tim. Uh, leading up to the draft, we, we heard about, you know, all the places where the Chiefs, you know, their urgent needs – and then their secondary needs, not, I'm not talking about defensive secondary. That's one of their urgent needs. Um, but the two positions we thought that we didn't need to upgrade at all. We didn't need to draft at all quarterback for obvious reasons and linebacker because they had Bolton and gay. And yet having somebody like, like uh, Leo here, that makes the linebacker crew even better allows either Bolton or Willie gay to, to add to that edge rush. Somebody like that, can help the edge rush, can help the pass rush because he has the athleticism. He has the ability to play the middle. Now you got three linebackers who are all, they're different, but they have similarities in the fact that they are athletic and they like to hit. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I talked about it in, uh, in right after the uh, Chiefs loss against Cincinnati and they brought in a new defensive line coach who is really a big three, four guy. And I said, hey, listen, you know, I'm not saying that you should doing this. I don't have any inside information, but where there's smoke, there's fire. And right now the Chiefs have really good linebackers. Uh, maybe they don't have as, as much depth as a defensive line. Uh, so that could be a possibility where all of a sudden now you have a guy like Gay or a guy like Bolton standing up on the edge in a 34 and coming off and getting your four weak and four, four strong pressures. Uh, I'm not saying they're going to do that, but they have the possibility of doing that. Uh, the Chiefs are going to make some moves this 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 offseason. They got to, they're changing up a little bit of culture, whether that's bringing young guys in on the defensive side and putting in a new defense, or we'll do a little bit of a different attitude. Whether they're going to play more coverage with their athletes, or they're going to bring pressure more pressure with their athletes, I don't know. And then the other thing, and we'll talk about it here in a couple picks. I think they're going to move some guys around in the offensive line too. Thanks for for previewing that one because I was going to get to that in a couple of picks you know when people think about pass rush in Chiefs history the first name that comes to mind is your old teammate Derek Thomas Derek Thomas was not a defensive end he was an outside linebacker having an outside linebacker who can rush and I think either of the two guys who were there before Willie Gay and Nick Bolton have that ability and so now if you've got three athletic linebackers who all have the ability to increase the pass rush, that helps the defensive line where there's still maybe some, you know, I mean, we obviously Frank Clark did not have a great year last year. Uh, but if you've got other guys who are helping him and, and he's only single teamed, that helps him as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I, I do think that you're, you're right. If you look at probably the most dynamic defensive player in the NFL this year was a rookie from last year and that Micah Parsons from from the Cowboys I thought he was outstanding and he you know listen he's basically a linebacker who's who's standing up playing defensive end yeah and they played him in that kind of position I think you're going to see a little bit of that from the Chiefs this year all right uh fourth round pick uh they're the one that they didn't trade away 
Cornerback Joshua Williams, Fayetteville State. If I remember correctly, this kid's like 6'4". Yeah, they, they found the length that they didn't have in that first pick with McDuffie. I don't know much about this kid. Obviously, not a big uh, um, uh, watcher of Fayetteville State, but... but come on. <laughs> I know. I know. I don't know how I missed their games this year. But I will say this, that uh, all indications are this kid is a fiery competitor and dominated at that level. So I think he's a project. The Chiefs may even have uh, this kid, uh, you know, uh, play, maybe start out on the on the um, the practice squad. But if he shows, and this is the most important thing, and I think people forget about this too, if he shows the ability to play on special teams uh, early, then this is, this is the way you, this, you get on the bus, uh, special teams. So this kid has got a, a fiery uh, a competitive attitude. He's got some good length. And he might be a guy that can really help you out as a rookie on special teams. You know, the, the Chiefs have, as long as Brett Veach has been there, at, at least in charge, the Chiefs hadn't done much with the secondary, hadn't, hadn't invested a lot of high-round picks. Obviously, their first pick was secondary, but they've been really good in the middle rounds at identifying Legereus Sneed, identifying quality cornerbacks. Could this guy be another Legereus Sneed? Yeah, it could be. And, you know, don't forget about Fenton. I believe he was like a six or seven round pick. Too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the Chiefs have done a really good job of developing uh, corners. And uh, I think this is a great project. This kid's got all the intangibles to be a great one. Um, we'll see how the Chiefs can develop him. But, um, you know, uh, he could be. But I do think this is a kid that you're going to – he may not be the name in, in marquee lights, but he's going to be a solid player for the Kansas City Chiefs for a long time. All right. My second pay- favorite pick of the Chiefs 10 was their fifth round pick, uh, offensive tackle Darian Kennard or Kennard. I'm not sure. Uh, a tackle out of Kentucky. Now, he was the he was the pick, the extra pick that they got by moving back four picks in the second round and still getting Sky Moore. When I see the picks or the, the video of, of Kennard, Kennard, uh, do you know what it is? Is Sounds good to me, David. Okay. When I see the uh, <laughs> videos of Darian, uh, yeah. I immediately think Trey Smith. Because, yeah. you know, I mean, he, he was first-team All-American, and he has a chip on his shoulder, really thought he should have gone higher. And he, here he is picked in the fifth round, and he's massive. And I what I think, and I think this is what you were referring to, yeah, he's projected as a tackle, but or he's played tackle, but take him and put him at guard. And move Trey Smith to the outside, and now your offensive line is set. Yeah, now you're talking. And listen, I've been catching a lot of flack on Twitter for people saying, why is Grunhart keep saying move Trey Smith out? I think Trey Smith is a prototypical right tackle. He's got the size. He's got the attitude. He's got the toughness. Uh, if they keep him in at guard, you know what? I, I, I always say when you're coaching the offensive line, Maybe other than the center position, because it's, it's just a weird deal with snapping the ball and being. Oh, and you need to be so much smarter to play center. Smarter, than the tougher, and really good looking. And, yeah. <laughs> and humble. But I, but I will, and humble. But I will say that, um, you know, you want to put the best five guys out on the field. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that this kid could fit into that. And, and I, I want to give you an analogy of what it's like playing tackle or playing guard. Now, this kid played left tackle as a young youngster at Kentucky, and then he moved him over to right guard. He has struggled with pass protection. He's a bit of a waist bender. He's a big guy, but he gets a little top heavy. I think in the NFL, he could be abused out there with space against some of those faster guys. 
So move him inside, I think. Move him to a guard. And now it's like when you go bowling. You, David, I know you're a bowler. You've bowled before. When you put the bumpers up, right, you yeah. can throw that ball as hard as you want. And it can, it's, it's going to come back to you and it's going to come back in. You got an opportunity to hit those, those, those pins. Uh, when you're playing guard, it's like having bumpers up. All right. So you have a center on one side, you got a tackle on the other side. So you can be aggressive. You could be tough. You could be physical and you got a little bit of help in case you get yourself towards the gutter. Right. If you play the tackle position, those rails are gone. All right. So you're throwing that ball as hard as you possibly can and you're going to hit it into the gutter. So you've got to have that ability to play in space and you don't want to be throwing gutter balls out there because that's when quarterbacks get hurt. So in order for this kid, I think, to have an opportunity to play, and I could be wrong. I don't know. We'll see. This is just, you know, speculation. I watched him play a couple of times, uh, but I, I think he'd be more comfortable. I think he'd be better using his toughness and his attitude and his physicality inside like Trey Smith did this year and, um, and play the guard position. But I like the kid. I agree with you. I think this is a kid who could be one of the best five, and they're going to find a place for him. All right. Uh, the last three are all seventh round picks. So I'll, I will mention them all. And you can talk you can talk about all three of them if you want or just the ones that stand out. Uh, their first pick of the seventh round, cornerback uh, Jalen Jalen Watson from Washington State, then mm-hmm. Isaiah Pacheco from Rutgers and Nazi Johnson from Marshall. He was a safety. Yeah, well, I, I think they just listen. They're, they're out there addressing their, their depth at the, and the defensive backs. And I think they're also addressing the special teams. I'm sure that uh, a lot of these guys are saying, hey, listen, they watch them do some stuff on special teams, and I think they're going to be a help. The one kid I like is Pacheco. I watched him play for one or some reason or another, maybe because I married a Jersey girl, that uh, for Rutgers games are on in this house, which don't ask me why, but they are. That kid is a, <laughs> that kid is a tough, physical jitterbug. When you talk about jitterbugs, uh, our guys are just, I mean, he just keeps moving and keeps bouncing and keeps popping and keeps running. I'm not saying that the kid's going to be a starter for the Kansas State Chiefs next year, but I think he's a kid that you'll see at the end of games come in and play, and I think you'll see him once again on special teams. So I like that kid. Out of the, the seventh-round picks, you know, it's a crapshoot. Uh, you never know what you're going to get. But I've watched this kid compete at the highest level in the Big Ten. Remember, Rutgers is now in the Big Ten. And their offensive line is not a Big Ten offensive line right. going against right. a Big Ten defense. I mean, you look at all the guys that were drafted in the Big Ten on the defensive line or linebacker position, and this kid still had success. So it shows that he has the ability to make people miss and to be play tough and with toughness, and I think he's going to be a good pick for the Chiefs. You know, if you watch the draft from end to end, every single pick like you and I did yeah. – <laughs> uh, you see the videos of each of these guys as they're drafted. And if, if those videos were, you know, symbolic of their entire careers, you know, you throw out all the veterans and just fill, just, you know, start all rookies because they're all great players. But when I saw the video uh, of Isaiah Pacheco, I immediately thought Jarek McKinnon, the running back this year, jitterbug, tough, tough, but quick. That's a great comparison. And yeah, you're exactly right. And you know what? That's the beauty of the draft is, you know, you and I are football geeks. We love to watch football. We love to study football. Uh, you know, just just the whole thing around sports, the analytics, everything else. But, you know, my wife, who is watched more football games than anybody that I know, 
uh, and she, so she's a huge fan. She will not miss a draft. She that's her mm. favorite time of the year. And then I'm on with Dana and Parks. And Dana, who's not a big sports fan, I don't know if you heard that interview, and she's like, you know what? I stayed up all night watching the draft both nights just because I love the emotions of watching kids sitting with their family and sitting yeah. with their friends. And, the, you know, the kid from the Pittsburgh who barely could keep his head up, the quarterback, the Pickett yeah. kid. I think that's how I said Yeah, Pickett. Or yeah, Kenny Pickett, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, he was just so emotional. And that's what it's all about. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, my draft experience in, you know, 1990, I was at home. My father had cancer. Uh, didn't we knew that he was you know, maybe six or seven months left. So I was sitting with him on the couch. Um, you know, it was a weird day. I talk about it a little bit in the book, um, you know, a week before the draft, I uh, was flown out to the 49ers in San Francisco. And they basically said they were going to take me in the first round. Now, I talk about this. I was not a first-round prospect. I was a fourth or fifth-round prospect because people weren't sure what I was, whether I was going to play center or guard because I played guard in college, but I was projected as a center in the NFL. So a lot of times when there's unknowns like that, teams are going to push you back a little bit. Well, you know, for the way fate had it, uh, the uh, 49ers picked a wide receiver out of Florida State, Dexter Carter, in that pick. And then they called me and said, hey, listen, we're going to pick you in the last pick in the second round. And I was just as happy as everybody got picked in the first round. I just wanted to play football. And Carl Peterson called about an hour later at the 40th pick and picked me. And kind of like what Trent McDuffie said, I don't know if you guys heard the interview, if you listened to the interview. He said that at the combine, he went in to meet with the Chiefs. He sat down. And this is what I did. And he did the exact same thing. We introduced ourselves. We talked about our backgrounds. We talked about what we loved about football. We talked about the schemes that the Chiefs implement and how we thought we fit into it. And then I'm sure we, I'm sure I did. I don't know this for a fact, but I'm sure we got up on the board. And when you get up on the board, they'll ask you some questions. And they, I got up on the board and they said, okay, talk to us about your pass protection. Talk to us about what you guys do in the run game. Mm-hmm. And Howard Mudd, who was the offensive line coach, and I were going through things. And we had a great relationship talking back and forth. And, and then at the end, you know, they, they said, hey, you know, uh, you know, you're on our watch list and all this kind of stuff. You'll be on our board and good luck with the draft thing. Never heard from him again. Same thing with Trent. Yeah. He said, I never heard from the Chiefs again. And all of a sudden they called. And I think he said, man, that was dope that I got a call. <laughs> I didn't say that. And yeah. remember now, this is in the 90s and maybe late 80s. And maybe I, I'm dating myself a little bit. But I think I said, man, far out. You, know, like, <laughs> you have a fro. <laughs> like, yeah, like, like you know, we were big uh, John Denver fans in the comedy hour. And John Denver always, far out, man, far yeah. out. That's the way I felt, far out. This is great. So two different generations, two different uh, guys, two different backgrounds, but basically the same kind of reaction. You never know what's going to happen. So just come on, stay the course, keep working, and hopefully good things happen. All right, going going back, and we'll get to your some other uh, recollections you have of your draft experience. One other thing about this group of picks, one of the things that that's true, I'm I'm sure is still true in training camp, is the rookies all have to get up and sing their fight song. Trent McDuffie went to Washington. Uh, Jalen Watson went to Washington State. That ought to be pretty good if they make them stand up together and see who has a better fight song. Uh, I think, you know, probably not the reason they picked Watson even in the in the seventh round, but that should be a little bit of fun. Yeah, you know what? And the winner of the sing-off will get an apple. So there you go. <laughs>
<laughs> there you go. Okay. Um, I have a question here. What's the best move? Not necessarily the best player, but the best either move up or move down or decision to stay put from the 10 picks that we had. What is the best move or non-move of the 10? I think we talked about it a little bit and, and I probably would have never said this um, before the draft, but moving up to get that quality corner. I, I knew, I knew that the chiefs had um, a couple guys that if, between 20 and 25, if somebody fell, that they would try to move up. Yeah. I didn't think it would be a corner. I, I really don't. I didn't think it would be a corner. But there was that run on wide receivers early. And I think some of the guys that they thought maybe would be there at that yeah. point were gone. So I thought that I thought that, that move up to get uh, Trent McDuffie, uh, maybe hopefully a shutdown corner, um, at the 21st pick, what a lot of people thought was a top three pick. I think that was the best move the Chiefs made. Yeah, obviously it was the first move, and obviously it's a sexy move. The first rounders always get all the attention. So, you know, this, that's kind of an easy answer, David. I know you don't bring me on for easy answers. So I'm not. <laughs> well, I got uh, one other move for you. That and I it, do. Was, it, it was the move to, and I don't remember how many picks they moved up, but in the fifth round for our buddy Darian Kennard Kennard whatever, because they had to move up a few picks. They got rid of one of their seventh round picks to do it. But it, to me, it's the same thing. And we've already referred to him or compared him to, to Trey Smith. They saw something in, in him that, okay, maybe somebody else is going to notice this. They moved up a few picks to get him. I think that's the best move up, but I mean, certainly the McDuffie move was a good one as well. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I like it. Uh, I don't know how he's going to fit in right away. I think yeah. with his, I'm talking about Kennard. He, he's got the attitude. He's got the toughness, but are they going to play him at right tackle? Are they going to play him at right guard? Um, you know, do they feel, is Nyang going to be a guy that's going to be healthy? Uh, Wiley, is he a kid that they, they, you know, they, they want to keep a veteran guy in. So um, there's some, there's some question marks about yeah. what exactly they're going to do with him. But I agree with you. I like that movie. You know, and, and I, I thought that the Chiefs drafted with their team scheme in mind. You know, one of the things that you do as a new coach is you go in to a program, whether it's high school, college, or pro, and you have to fit your X's and O's to your Jimmy's and Joe's. Yeah. Right? That's what a coach does because you have all those guys and you can't make all those guys conform to what you do because, you know, that's just – not logical, yeah. but when you're in the draft, you can find the Jimmys and Joes that fit your X's and O's. And I thought the Chiefs did a good job of finding those guys that fit the schemes that they want to do. They want to do certain things at linebacker. In the last three years, they found guys who could do that. They want to do certain things in the secondary, and they've been finding guys that can do that. Remember, everybody always says the Chiefs have got to get more pressure on the quarterback. Those defensive ends got to get more pressure. Well. You can't get pressure if guys are running open. So the defensive backs and the yeah. defensive line, it's a symbiotic relationship between the two that one affects the other. And, you know, so I think that this is going to help the pass rush by, by drafting good defensive backs. To me, the overriding theme of this, two themes of, of this whole class, toughness and quickness. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think toughness and, and, and I think you can add one more competitiveness. Yeah. I think it's a very competitive group and um, you've got to be competitive 
in this day and age in the NFL, really back even when I was playing even before, I mean, you got to be competitive and you got to have confidence and you got to yeah. have the grit. But I will tell you this, um, there's so many great athletes and so much athleticism, so much uh, toughness in the NFL right now that if you're not competitive and, and you are a guy that will maybe rest on your laurels or failure doesn't really affect you, you're not in this league for a long time anymore. I mean, yeah. you've got to have that competitive uh, edge to you. And I think all these guys do. I want to talk to you about uh, when you were drafted. And, and obviously this is from the book, but the day after the draft, I mean, they flew you down and, and then you were going to meet with the red coders, the, the chiefs, so, you know, high level supporters or something. And before you met with them, they, they picked you up at the hotel, they brought you over and, and Carl met you at uh, wherever you got dropped off and you walked around the stadium and just talk about, your feeling of looking up and seeing that stadium and seeing the ring of honor and, and what that inspired you to do. I'm sure they're still doing that. I'm sure they're still taking these guys in and say, Hey, you have a chance to be up there. Just talk about that. And is there anybody in this group that you think has a chance to be up there? Well, first of all, I, I, I want to congratulate Kimball Anders, who will be the next uh, ring of fame hall of famer for the Kansas city chiefs played with Kimball for many years, a great guy. And you're exactly right. Um, yeah, when they brought me in, I was by myself. Now they bring in basically the whole first two days class. So they were in Saturday and they come in and they get a tour and they get to meet the coaches and they get to go out and eat barbecue and go hang out. Well, uh, I talk about it in the book also that I'm flying into Kansas City and I've never been to Kansas City. I no, knew nothing about Kansas City. In fact, my wife and I, when I was drafted by the Kansas City Chiefs, I asked her, is Kansas City and Kansas and Missouri? I said, I have no <laughs> idea. And, uh, and I, you know, David, I'm still not quite sure. You know, I mean. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> so uh, when I was flying in, I talk about it, you know, flying in on Midway Airlines, right? Back in the day out of Midway Airport in Chicago, right by my high school, get in a plane. Man, I could count on one hand how many planes I was on before this uh for this trip I get on a plane I'm flying into Kansas City and we're coming down on final approach and I look down and there's these farm fields with these cows and it feels like we're landing in a farm field there's like cows on the runway I was like where the hell am I and then I looked out the window off to the uh, south and I saw the big shoulders of Kansas City I saw the big buildings and the skyline and, and, and the river and I thought you know this is perfect for me I said it's got this big kind of city feel but yet it's got the country and I said man this could be my home forever and it was so when I got in I got picked up I went over to the stadium and um, uh, Carl Peterson met me at the door and he said hey let's go take a walk around the stadium and I walked in the stadium and yeah I played in a lot of big stadiums I played in Michigan and I played at Penn State and obviously played in Notre Dame and other places and the Orange Bowl in Miami a couple different times Uh, but this stadium just it 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 reminded me a little bit, David, and I know you're a big baseball guy too. And one of the things they always talk about with young baseball players is the, the three decks or, you know, all of a sudden now you're playing in the triple, you know, decks and, you know, it's a, it's a different experience. It's a different feel. And I walked in at the stadium felt so big. It felt so uh, just, um, you know, foreign to me. And then I looked around, I saw all these names on the ring. 
And, uh, you know, I said, Carl, I said, who are those guys? Said, those are our Hall of Famer and Ring of Famers. And he said, someday that's what you should aspire to do is be on that Ring of Fame. And I would tell you that every time I uh, played 169 games for the Kansas City Chiefs, started 120 in a row. So I'm not very good at math, but 90 or 90 so of those games were um, in Arrowhead Stadium. And I can tell you, every time I walked in, I did the same thing. I walked to my little corner where I stretched, put my helmet down on the, on the end line, where the end line and the goal line meet. And I looked up at those names and I said, those are the guys I need to play like today. And that was my mentor. That was my goal. And that was what I tried to do. And it started the very first day I walked into that stadium with Carl Peterson. And then it came uh, full circle uh, in November when I got my name up on, on the ring of fame. And now when kids walk into that stadium, they'll see Tim Grunhart, which makes me feel great because that was my goal. My goal was never to be in the NFL hall of fame. It really wasn't. And my goal was to make an impression and to be a part of this organization and be in their hall of fame. And I was able to do that. You know, Tim, that was, that is one of my favorite stories uh, in the book. Uh, one of my other favorite stories is, is, and there, and I've got a bunch, uh, but is, is, uh, the, the story you told about Dan Salimua. And interestingly, Dan Salimua was our guest on the podcast on Monday of this week. And, uh, and just tell us about your buddy, your, your brother-in-law, <laughs> Dan Salimua. I, I, I'm sure that Dan cracked up when you said that to him. Uh, but yeah, so I, the very first practice, uh, mini camp, uh, you know, Mike Webster, who was my real mentor was, was the guy that taught me how to play center and, and took me under his wing. He said, listen, the one thing you're going to do every play is you're going to run to the line of scrimmage, never walk to the line of scrimmage. He said, I've been doing this for, I think it was a hundred years. He played football. And I didn't exactly <laughs> but he said, every time I ran to the line of scrimmage. So I started doing that in mini camp and Dan said, was looking at me with, with these like head cock and say, what's with this guy? You know? So, you know, we had some battles in training camp and, and many, I mean, excuse me, in mini camp and then training camp came around and boy, we had some really epic battles. So finally one day he sat there, we were sitting in a locker. He said, listen, you know, he had this kind of um, uh, Samoan California accent. He said, listen, bro. He said, we got to do this for a long time against each other. He said, you make me look good. I'll make you look good. We both make the team. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, it, I, I said, I don't know how to do that, but, you know, listen, he goes, well, you know, at certain times when the, you, know, you know the play and you're doing scout team and I'm on defense, you know, you just kind of let me know where the play's going and then I'll, I won't make you look bad, but I'll make the play and I'll look good. And then when, and, and I was like, okay. And he said, that, you're my brother-in-law now, you my brother-in-law, which is what they call guys. And you'll hear it many times in coaching, no brother-in-law out there, no brother-in-law out there because guys take care of the other guy to make, you know, make them look good. And coaches hate that. Well, so that became our little stick, you know, for the five or six years we played together. He, we'd go up to the line of scrimmage and say, hey, brother-in-law, hey, brother-in-law, what's up? So fast forward to later on in my career, I'm doing radio, and I had Dan Sally Mua on the radio, Doug Franz and I, who Doug was down in Arizona doing radio uh, up until this year. Uh, so I said, I'm bringing my brother-in-law, Dan Salimua, on. He's, and and, and uh, Doug, as we're talking, going through all this kind of stuff and everything else, I said, oh, brother-in-law, I'll see you later. He goes, okay, man, I'll see you later, brother-in-law. So later on, we had a Christmas party. And Sarah, my wife, who is Irish German from New Jersey, has no <laughs> Polynesian in her at all. <laughs> Pretty so blonde girl. <laughs> and, 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 and Doug Franz says, 
hey, is that your wife? And I said, yeah, this is Sarah. Yeah. And she goes, she's not Polynesian. I said, what are you talking about? How is that Dan Salimua's sister? <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Brother-in-law, not brother-in-law. Brother-in-law. It's a different thing. So, yeah. Uh, did, so did Dan talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. he did. He did. His, and his memory was similar to yours. He had some different some different stories. He He claimed the... The brother-in-law thing was your idea, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, we we had we had some fun with that. Yeah. Just talking about your book, it's obviously called "View from the Center" uh, and talks about the rebirth of the Chiefs' kingdom when when Carl and Marty took over the year before you got there. Uh, it was a ghost town, Arrowhead Stadium. Nobody wanted to go, and and then they they basically built up what's now known as Chiefs' kingdom by making sure everybody, players, coaches, whoever, even Carl himself, uh, got out and met the community, met, met the community where they were, and became it almost became a college-like atmosphere where people would go to the game because they knew that guy. Oh, and yeah. I'll root for the other guy wearing the same color shirt. Yeah, you know, that was part of what we tried to do in the 90s, wanted to build the foundation really from the ground up. It was a, uh, it was a grassroots type of a deal where we we knew that we needed to have a personal relationship with the fan base and Carl and Marty did a really good job of kind of giving us a little bit of rope and giving us a little bit of leash that we can go out and do that through radio shows which I'm sure that there were times and they wish they didn't have us out doing those (laughs) you know going to high schools and talking to high schools and going to hospitals and visiting with patients and going to different charitable events and and uh, like you said you know, people always say that Arrowhead Stadium is a lot like a college-like atmosphere. And I think people think that because, well, it's loud, everybody wears red. And I've said this, I talked about in the book, it's, it's deeper than that. There is a personal relationship that was built between the players and the fans that they got to know us. And they had a personal uh, relationship with us. And, you know, when I was doing shows at the levee or I was going out and doing different things, it was like sitting at the dinner table and talking football and they got to know me. I got to know them. So when they went to the game, they felt like they had ownership over, over the guys because they were part of the family and that's what we wanted. And that's why it worked out so well uh, here in Kansas city. I think the Chiefs fans are some of the best Chiefs fans. And that's one of the things that one of the reasons why I wrote the book, I wanted to give people an understanding of, of what we were trying to do in the nineties. It was, yeah, we wanted to win football games and yeah, we wanted to win Super Bowls, but we really wanted to win over the fans. And we talk about different ways we did that. We talk about the different characters that helped do that. We talked about the different games that helped do that. But more importantly than that, we talk about, about building this foundation in which Patrick Mahomes and these guys now can stand and hold the Lombardi trophy up on the foundation was built in the nineties. And as you know, David, and I put it on Twitter, and, and I know that this, this will probably be on Twitter and some other social media sites. We have a really good deal going on with the book right now. If you buy a book here before Father's Day, buy one for your dad, buy one for your son, buy one for a friend, buy one, if you're a daughter or whatever, buy one for anybody, but it's a Father's Day special. And what we'll do is I will sign that book, and your name, starting on May 1st up until Father's Day, will go into... Uh, a drawing at the Father's Day, and we will have one person, and maybe more. I'm working on trying to get a couple more tickets, but we will have um, a, a drawing, and you will go to a game with me. 
and I don't drink anymore. So I'll be your designated driver. And, <laughs> and I will, uh, and I will be at the game. We'll sit with the game. We'll talk about the game. We'll have fun. We'll go to the founders club and maybe we'll see if we can get some sideline passes and go bonk bounce around down there, but it'll be a nice afternoon to watch a game with me. So take advantage of it. And really, uh, I, I think it's going to be a great Father's Day book uh, for people, and it's on pre-order. I understand. David and I, we would love to have the book out right now. It's just not in our hands. The book is done, and Triumph is is timing it because they want to take the splash of the NFL season and have the kickoff at the same time as the kickoff as a season. And I don't, and I get it. But everybody have patience with us out there. We, the book is done, and you're going to enjoy it. So uh, just have that uh, in mind as you decide about Father's Day gifts. All right. Well, Tim, I could, we could do this all day for several days, but you know, we both have things we have to done do. That, David. That's why we wrote a book. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> but it's always good to catch up with you, my friend. And uh, just tell people where to get the book. Yeah. Uh, go to Tim Grunhart, all one word.com. And you click on that. And uh, there's a great website in there that you can click on and go ahead and order it. And remember, it's on pre-order. Uh, you can get it on some different other sites if you if you Google it. But we suggest if you want to get involved with the Father's Day special, go to timgrunhart.com and uh, uh, click on, and your name will automatically be put into the Father's Day drawing to go to a football game with me. And uh, we'll pick a game uh, mutually decided upon to go to. And I promise you, it'll be a fun experience for you, and we'll have a good time. And you'll also get a book that you'll enjoy reading. And, and I've, I've, I've let a couple different people read it, David. I probably shouldn't have told you this, but everybody, <laughs> everybody who's read it loves it. They said it's a fast read. In fact, some people that don't read a lot of books read it really in like two days. They just they couldn't put it down. So that makes me feel good, David. And you did a great job too. And you really uh, put together an, an awesome book here. So thanks for all your help too. Well, my pleasure. I, as you know, my mom is, is uh, my best proofreader. She's 89, still sharp as a tack. Uh, and she wants to meet you because she wants to see if you're, if you are really like you sound uh, in the interview. So we'll, we'll get that set up. But Tim, good to, good to catch up with you. And thanks very much. Hey, no problem. Anytime you need me on Sports Connections, I uh, love being on here with you guys. And uh, make sure you follow our good buddy, David Smale on Sports Connections and his podcast. Does a great job. A lot of great guests, even though I get half of them for him. But I digress. Thanks for listening to Sports Connections with David Smale. Make sure to subscribe, follow, and rate the show from your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more about David Smale and his work by visiting davidsmalebooks.com. Don't forget to join us weekly for new episodes. Until next time.